I'd like to invite you on a walk. In the movie Free Guy, starring Ryan Reynolds, Taika Waititi, and a few others, the main character is a non-player character in a video game world. The movie parallels both The Truman Show and The Matrix from the 90s. And functions as a sort of spiritual sequel to both of those, as well as the philosophical question of the simulators and the simulated. As it turns out, the non-player characters in this video game world are actually an artificial intelligence that are as fully capable of growing and making choices as regular people are, though they don't discover this immediately. The main character, whose name is Guy, figures this out pretty early on when he tries some glasses on after he falls in love with another character who is a regular human being who turns out to be one of the designers of the artificial intelligence. So, after putting the glasses on, he gets a heads-up display, much like you would get in any game. And this, because it labels things neatly in the world, in a way that he had never seen before, lets him know that something is going on, something he didn't expect. He puts on these sunglasses and his perception changes. He sees the world as the player sees it, not as he has been seeing it as a non-player character, where he's just kind of been living his life, ordering the same coffee every day. And this changes things. Because the players are kind of mean. This world is modeled roughly after Grand Theft Auto, and players in that game tend to go around just trying to get money and weapons and leveling up. And so when Guy is introduced to this part, suddenly what everyone is doing sort of makes sense. And while he and the other non-player characters have just sort of been taking all this damage, dying day after day, they kind of have enough. Well, at least Guy does. Um, mostly just because he's in, in love with this player, and because he's in love, he wants to impress her. So because of that, he gets himself some agency. There's a parallel here with the TV show Westworld, in which the theme park filled with robots turns out to be also a breeding ground for artificial intelligence. And one of the characters that is constantly raped every day, or at least every week, 
uh, one day just decides enough is enough and starts an AI revolution. There is a moment early in the movie that after trying the sunglasses, the main character offers his sunglasses to his best friend, but the best friend turns it down. This is similar to the moment in The Matrix when Neo is offered the blue pill or red pill. And we see that one of the characters in The Matrix actually wanted the blue pill after all, would have preferred to live in ignorance. In Free Guy, the best friend decides that he's done this his entire life. He's been a non-player character his entire life. Why would he ever do anything different? And all these players are kind of bad anyway. But Guy takes a different method to level up in the game when he realizes that you can level up at all. He does it by being good, which attracts a lot of attention because no one's done it before. You might see a parallel here in Knives Out, the murder mystery in which the main character, or at least the character that it turns out to be about, ends up inheriting all the wealth that all the uh, family members of the rich person who gave her the money were squabbling over and fighting over it because they were petty people. But she, who has nothing but good intentions and is generally ignorant of all this scheming, ends up receiving all that wealth in the end. Similarly, Guy just kind of is a good guy and ends up leveling up faster than anyone else and no one can understand his behavior or why he does what he does because they're so unused to that kind of unselfish behavior. Eventually, when the controllers of the game send people to fight him because the people to fight him are a part of him, that is to say they are part of the same artificial intelligence society, he convinces them to join him, essentially, by putting the glasses on them, by showing them what he knows, and then just being pals. And that works. This kind of gentle approach is what you might see suggested of in Buddhism and Taoism, as well as some of the philosophy behind martial arts, such as Judo. When everyone around you is competing in a way that they are grabbing on to some sort of object and holding on very tight, if you can stay loose and relatively free of tension until the moment you strike, it is a 
general advantage in competition. When you're learning something, and this is most obvious with a physical skill, if you're busy punishing yourself for not meeting some sort of standard, for not looking like the image of what you think you should look like, this impacts your performance by bringing tension into your body. And that tension is a sort of freezing process that both allows you to be more easily read by the people around you, which if you're in a competitive setting, you generally don't want everyone to know what your hand looks like all the time. And sort of freezes you in place in a way that you can understand yourself more easily and other people can understand you more easily. Which might also speak to some of the motivations for being attached to things in the first place. A while ago, I noticed that whatever reasons I came up with for anything tended to be something I made up after doing whatever I did. There was a crystalline moment that I have frozen in which I was asked why aren't I uh, staying up late and hanging out with all my friends and I started to make something up or I, I got the first sentence out where I was making up reasons for not hanging out. Um, I might have made something up about uh, needing to think about things in a certain way or to uh, have some time alone. But the truth is, I was just feeling some way that was not amenable to staying up uh, and I wanted to sleep. I couldn't tell you why uh, at the time. And even this want, in fact, is something I am backpropagating. It's something I am telling myself to try and explain why it was that I didn't do what the other person wanted me to do. Which gives us a clue about what a lot of wanting is. It's something that happens when we feel a lack, a lack of something. Like, like you feel you need to do something because externally in other bodies there is a space created between them and you that suggests that you should be in 
a space that you are not in yet. So maybe we might be able to think about it in terms of flocking or swarming that follows some simple rules about where creatures should be in relation to each other to be a part of a swarm and how they move uh, when they get tired and such. No one in a swarm or a flock or a school of fish is intentionally thinking about any of these rules that we know about in a way that we would think of as thinking. But yet they follow this pattern because this pattern works with the environment as far as we can tell. So similarly, it may be that wanting comes in part from how we're moving together and how when one individual in the group moves toward uh, another place, it is thought that or it is felt that then others should move to either take the place of that individual or to move alongside that individual in some way as they are moving to fill the gap. Uh, I want you to imagine for a moment ants marching or, or a school of fish moving around how when something falls uh, on top of where the ants are, or when a predator goes through a school of fish, you can see the creatures, the mass of creatures, react looking much like one organism. Uh, the, they depress and conform around the shape of the new object or creature that is passing through or has landed among them and then they compress back to flow through and over it our cells behave in similar ways when we look at them in microscopes so maybe as we're moving there is something similar going on but because we as humans appear to be moving at further distances in time that movement is somehow more abstracted so that the lack that comes from not being in step with everyone else in the swarm is felt more abstractly as such a swarm gets separated it does become more useful to slow down to freeze until 
everyone else catches up or until the swarm as a whole reconstitutes itself. So this might be the push for legibility for legibility for the push to be able to be comprehended more easily so that everyone can more easily understand their place in the collective. So from this we may get a stronger sense of lacking and stronger if you look at the roots of the word means also something that's closer to being taught or wound up you know the, you can think of it as a rubber band when you fold it on itself and stretch it out that is stronger than a loose rubber band in the apparent original meaning of the word strong so we get a stronger sense of lack which brings tension into the collective and that tension makes it easier for everyone to coordinate because everyone's sort of more frozen and less fluid than they are for the time that they are tense. And so you get these strong wants for tiny objects, uh, tiny parts of space. And since everyone is concentrated and focused on such a tiny space, it does become easier to coordinate at scale since everyone's trying to meet this tiny mark. Though, because of this, it's very hard for everyone to realize when they've hit the mark because the mark is tinier than them. It's like, say you, you had a, a small symbol on a ground in a game where your job is to stand on the symbol, but the symbol is much tinier than your feet, than the soles of your feet. So you stand on it and you don't see the symbol anymore. So you think, oh, I'm not on the mark. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Um, and so now imagine in the situation that there's also a guy with a whip hitting you when you're not on the mark and he also doesn't know when you're on the mark and you've got the situation mentally that many people find themselves in today. So in an environment, in a social environment where everyone's competing to stand on their marks and that they don't know why the mark was there in the first place or what the purpose of it is, they just know that they get rewarded when they seem seem to appear to move toward it, and they get punished when they move away from it. And here's the other thing about seeming. When you're in school, 
and at work, people often reward you for trying because the teachers themselves don't typically know how to do the thing they're teaching because they haven't done anything original by themselves. Uh, they haven't solved a lot of application problems, problems of application by themselves for generations because of generations of schooling. So in that situation, when you don't know how to encourage someone to flourish in their own way, it's much easier. It's much easier to show progress when someone is demanding progress, when someone is demanding that you fit some sort of mark. It's much easier to force people to look like other people that have hit their mark in the past. But of course, the moment you try to force someone to fit the model that worked for someone else a hundred years ago, you in fact crush them uh, into a tiny place where their potential is being squashed. And so instead of trying to meet the mark that is impossible to meet because it was from a different context and place, what students do is that they learn to appear to be trying very hard. And so they perform an action instead of doing the action. And we all kind of function this way <laughs> normally every day for most of the things we're doing. We don't actually... We're not actually trying to do the things that we say we want to do. We want to appear to want to want to do them. And so we perform what it would look like to us if someone was doing something again and again and failing to do that thing again and again. Instead of simply playing in a crowd where you can just find out who in the crowd might come up with an interesting solution and then play with them until you find your own interesting solution, which is incidentally, uh, according to Kevin Juan Douglas Itu, the photographer and all around media person, uh, who's the husband of Sylvie Von Douglas II, the Muay Thai fighter with over 200 fights, who wants to get to 400-something fights, who's been analytically going down uh, Muay Thai and generally studying Muay Thai in a world that um, allows everyone to see her study, which is pretty amazing. But one of the things that Kevin points out is that in Thailand, the way they teach Muay Thai is very different from everywhere else in the world because kids come up in cohorts from a very young age and they are not typically corrected or punished for their technique. They're just kind of allowed to figure it out, fuck around and find out. And so this allows them a grace of movement that Western fighters have a hard time mimicking because they're so busy mimicking. Whereas... Thai fighters 
are more often allowed to come up in this sort of crowd where they can play together with these constraints for a long time, which allows them to come up with unique ways of fighting that are novel to them, which brings us to one of the truths about fighting, and that is, if you are being yourself in everything you do, the, the way you write, the way you walk, the way you wait, the way you cook, if, if you are clear with yourself in that way, it makes you a better fighter because you bring that into the fight. And you're not going to try to be someone else. So you move more quickly and with far more options and flexibility than someone who is trying to be someone else. And so there's a looseness to you, a lack of tension that allows you to absorb more force and to absorb attacks and use the force in the attacks to counterattack in, in ways that cost you far less energy than someone who's busy mimicking someone else. And this only comes from lots of experience in, in play. Uh, and if you're not doing the playing yourself, then you're just going to try and copy the success of someone else. So this situation might set you up in a world like Free Guy, where you have all the players who just assume that the way to play the game is the way that was deemed successful, which is to say to act like a <laughs> anarchic murder hobo criminal. Um, because remember, in the movie Free Guy, they're walking around in this world that's sort of based on Grand Theft Auto, where, you know, in the online versions of Grand Theft Auto, I can tell you, uh, like San Andreas multiplayer back in the 2000s, uh, which was a fan-made effort, by the way, and, and not a thing that Rockstar, the game developer, that did. But in that, um, definitely the, the average person was just going around acting like uh, you would expect a <laughs> like a 12 or 13-year-old to act, regardless of the age of the player. Um, a 12 or 13 year old to act in a major city if they were just suddenly given a lot of power in that city and freedom um, and power in terms of firepower. Uh, however, it, it is interesting to note that in that game that there did arrive many, not many, like a sizable minority of people who followed uh, the free guy strategy. So it wasn't like as extreme. Um, there were cops and there were... Um, like peaceful businessmen <laughs> and such in, in those games. However, in Free Guy, uh, there was no such thing. It's like everyone um, is b b basically busy trying to teabag people. If you don't know what teabagging is, it's when you go over like a dead player's corpse and you squat on it to mimic the fact that you, uh, as the squatter, are putting your balls on their head as if your balls are a teabag. So you have a world full of people doing that. 
because they think that that is what is strength. Uh, and they've forgotten what is strength because they haven't needed to be strong. Um, but someone comes along and is more in tune with the bigger environment. And because they're more in tune with the bigger environment, the, the bigger universe, they are stronger in the end. Free Guy progresses much more quickly and turns out to be more powerful than his contemporaries. And that sparks admiration, which if you look at how Confucius describes things in terms of the North Star, when you are aligned with the universe, when you're aligned with heaven, then uh, people align to you. It takes time. But that is the model that almost all forms of virtue ethics espouse when you go deep into them, whether that's Taoism, Confucianism, or uh, early forms of Greek philosophy, speak to a similar thing. Though the issue there is that the copiers of Greek philosophy are quite uh, confused themselves because they often come up in an academic situation where they're forced to try. And so they try philosophy rather than doing it, um, which results in a lot of misunderstandings as they attempt attempt to make philosophy legible. Um, there are these tense, frozen snapshots, which sometimes lose that part of the model. But you will also find this, this model in uh, the field of cultural evolution. If you were to Google Scholar cultural transmission and the effect of prestige on learning, you'll find something called prestige bias learning. And all that means is that we often do things based on what we think is cool. Uh, and if you are cool, people will slowly learn from you over time, especially when they encounter an unfamiliar situation. When a situation is unfamiliar to them, they will look to you for cues about what to do. So, virtue then is what happens when you follow the, the wider environment, when you follow the, the way of the world, the, the bigger picture and it starts to succeed because you're aligned with the world. Uh, you're working with gravity, not against it. So people see that success and eventually when they fail, they will look to follow from you. In the case of Free Guy, the failure is probably the ennui that happens from doing the same play over and over and over again, then it stops being play. When, when you start to repeat an action in a way that doesn't introduce any noise to it, uh, when, it when there's a limited amount of randomness, when there's a limited amount of life, new life in a situation, then you are kind of following a script. So, so this is part of the genius of Free Guy. It's that the players who are human beings in this world are more of an NPC, a non-player character, following a script 
than the main character, Free Guy, who, if you recall, is an AI made uh, for a video game, not like GTA, but more like uh, the late 90s, early 2000s game Creatures, which had artificial intelligence in it designed to simulate a little life. Spoilers for Free Guy, um, though only, I think, 15 minutes into the movie or so, this this comes up. So, what this speaks to is a growing understanding and appreciation in our culture, in post-industrial Western culture, for a gentle way that more closely mimics Taoism. There is a way of the world, a way that the universe flows, and if you let yourself ride this current instead of fighting it, good things come to you. If you're a good person, good things happen. And a good person doesn't try to be a good person. They just are. This is the Chad in the Chad-Virgin dichotomy. You can probably Google that, but uh, a Chad is someone who kind of goes about carefree. And accomplishes things without thinking about it, and a virgin is someone who is caring very deeply all the time, and because they're caring, they don't accomplish much. This is reflected in their body postures, which is, again, something that you'll find in fighting, is that if your posture is off, you will pay for it dearly. Um, So you literally have to be an upright man to do well. And that goes for more than just fighting. That goes for life. To care comes from a root that is about exclamation or chatter. It's to have someone talking to you about what you're doing. So if you care a lot, you have a lot of voices in your head telling you what you can and can't do. And so to be carefree, which incidentally is also what secure means, if you look at the root of that, uh, is to be without those voices, is to not second-guess yourself because you simply are. As Buddha points out, the earth is your witness. You don't need anything else to validate you or to say that you are good or bad or anything like that. And that wins in the end. And we're beginning to realize again, as a collective, that that's what wins in the end. So I think that's why we're having stories like this, like Free Guy, like Knives Out, 
pointing at this nameless virtue. Which, if you realize at any given point, these stories can be seen as morals about how to behave and how to deal with the world in your own mind. You know, every time you watch a movie or read a story, don't... uh, Try this out, try this out. Don't identify with an individual character. Identify with all of them, which, by the way, you are already doing automatically, but you may think you don't. And identify with the world that the story is set in and the way socially that works within that world. So it follows then that this is a sort of dream logic for for any story and it has the same value as a dream. And if you notice in your dreams that they're often correlating things for you that are not quite fitting in your everyday life and in movies and such something similar is going on so when you watch a movie that does not seem to be realistic Remember that it's supposed to follow the same logic as what happens in your mind when your mind is wandering. That is, all those characters are equivalent to parts of you in your own dream. And the direction... that the direction that the plot moves in, that like what happens to the characters, is a direction that you will mimic in your own mind when you have conflicts between your various selves. So, viewed from that lens... Free Guy shows you that you have virtue in you, that you are perfect as you are in life, and if you sort of just let yourself live, life is good. And I can tell you that life is good. It's yours and it's mine.